to be You don't know what it's like to be me But by the grace of God we'll see each other's heart Can you, can you? I was 
break everything you knew Faded out of you Stole a piece of you If I could, oh I would be a hero Be the one who would take all the arrows Save you from the pain Carry all the weight But I know that you pray front together it's um it's something we don't see a lot in this world outside when we get up and we go to work and we get up and uh you know we're driving and we experience you know all the traffic and the different drivers out there um but how awesome is it that we get to start our week together singing about god and then opening his word together and really just studying who he is and um and who he wants us to be um his word is full of things for us just to help us because he's a god who's present with us in every moment um he doesn't change he doesn't move but he is a god who's there with us so um it's just an awesome time to start our week this way so would you guys stand as i pray um that god would have his way with us this morning god you are amazing to us lord you are a god who is ever present in our lives and ever present um, throughout time lord in, in a time where we may be struggling in a time where we may just worry whether you're with us or not, we can be rest assured you are there and you are our solid rock, Lord. As seasons change, as um, relationships come and go, God, you will never abandon us because you are God. We thank you so much for this time together, Lord. We thank you so much just for, for Christ and what he means to us and that connection to each other, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
running after it's running after me with my life laid down i'm surrendered now i give you everything your goodness is running after it's running after me let's sing it again your goodness your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, surrender now, I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me.
you are who you are, and we know that that is trustworthy, God, because you are a rock, and you are our salvation. Through Jesus, that's who we pray to. It's his name we pray. Amen.
Father God, we lift these songs to you, God, because you are worthy, because you are the great I am. And no matter what stands before us, God, we know that you will conquer it. You've defeated death, Lord, and we know that one day we will be able to praise you face to face and fellowship with you, God, because you, in the end, will win it all because you are the great I am, God. And we thank you so much in that matchless name of Christ who has conquered death. Amen. You can take a minute to say good morning to people, somebody right near you. Just say good morning to somebody you don't know. So I'm going to keep this here. So I'm going to keep that there just in case. All right, if you can uh, find your way back to your seat, and uh, our, um, our young ones, our kids are headed down the hall, so if they haven't done that yet, uh, we have uh, classes for them, and they get to worship God together and, and sing songs and open his word, and so that's what we're going we're gonna to do right now. Um, we're going to open the Lord's word, I call it the Bible, we're going to open that together as we continue in our, in our journey through the book of Colossians together. And um, you can open it up, uh, and we're going to get to it in just a minute, and it's, it's always on the screen for you as well, but uh, you can open up to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to finish that chapter today, verses 16 to 23. It's in Colossians 2. You can get that ready. So before we do that, I just want to um, mention a few things in what we call church life to get us caught up on where we are together. And so just remember that we have three words that are very important to us here at Trinity because these are our core values, learn, grow, and serve. Why? Because that's how we pursue discipleship, being a follower of Jesus Christ. So we learn the truth, and we grow in faith, and then we serve, and we serve one another. We do all those three things together, and we continue to repeat that cycle. And so uh, it's a big part of who we are. We learn, we grow, and we serve together. And so uh, next, I just wanted to, to uh, oh, there you go. Um, what we have uh, next is that we, um, uh, we want to continue to give out, I'll get to the, the ministry in a second. We want to continue to give out coats. Um, 
And so we just did that last Saturday. Actually, it was yesterday. So I want to thank everybody that did that. We went out to the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission. There was a whole team of people that went. So I want to thank everybody that participated and volunteered. Uh, we got to partner with Jersey Shore Rescue Mission, and I heard amazing things about all of the coats and hats and warm uh, clothing that was given out. And so uh, what a blessing it is that we can partner with that kind of ministry. But we also have... Um, uh, a box out in the hallway. It's actually bursting at the seams, literally, which is great. And uh, so we're continuing to collect stuff for our January trip, which you'll hear more about. So keep giving to that. But yes, on December 2nd, uh, it's coming up rather quickly, is our annual women's, I say hour, because it's our church. I'm not invited, of course. But it's our uh, annual women's ministry Christmas party and dinner. And so please make sure you sign up. Uh, there's actually a sign up right in the lobby. On the bulletin board, you can put your name there, ladies, and so make sure you mark that date down, and uh, if you're going to commit to come, then you can put your name on there, and all the information is there as well about uh, what to bring and, and um, who to contact and what directions and all that. So uh, every year I hear it's an amazing time, and so please, ladies, if you've never been especially, this would be a great uh, time to do that, make it your first year to join in in the Christmas celebration, all right? And let's see, what's next? We also have, um, yeah, I don't want to forget about this, the Thanksgiving Eve worship service. Did you know Thanksgiving is this week, right? Yes, and so tomorrow morning, I'm going out into the world, and I'm going to the shop, right, and to the Costco, so you can pray for me, you know, because um, I think everybody else is going to do the same thing, right? to get all the stuff, and I've heard random, um, you know, stories about a possible shortage of turkeys, and I don't know if that's true, but I really hope that there's a turkey out there with my name on it somehow, so, um, but this Wednesday night, Thanksgiving Eve, we uh, traditionally have a service here, and it's, it's special because uh, we do sing some songs of praise, and we open God's word, but the majority of our evening is spent sharing testimony. And we get to pass the mic around, and if you desire, you can come and just listen. But we love when everybody participates, and you can just share a word or two about what God has been doing in your life recently or as you reflect on the year that just passed, all right? It's a time of praising God and giving thanks together. Right? And so it's a wonderful time. It's a very you know, family-oriented atmosphere, and um, we just love to be able to do that. So that's this Wednesday at 7 p.m., and uh, afterwards, we have some pie and coffee. So if you'd like a little extra fellowship and get a head start on uh, your eating that you're getting ready for for Thursday, you can stay afterwards for that as well. But it's this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. right here, and we just want to be able to spend our time together sharing stories. We love to hear stories. Church, can I just tell you that it's a really important part of the church life when we get to hear that God is at work in other people's lives and we know it, but when we hear the amazing things that God is doing, right? Because we can't get to talk to everybody and hear everybody's story on Sundays, right? Maybe if you're part of our small group on Tuesday nights, you get to hear a little bit more. But it's a unique opportunity to come and publicly give thanks to God for what he's doing, all right? So I encourage all of you to come out to do that. So there's so much more that's happening uh, at Trinity. And so you can go to our website, trinityallenwood.com. Find out about that. You can sign up for our prayer email if you'd like to to give uh, prayer requests and to find out about prayer needs in the church and so much more, all right? And so what we're going to do is open 
God's Word together. And so we are in our series called Greater Than, and it's simply called Greater Than because Paul wrote the book of Colossians. It was a letter to a church uh, in a city called Colossae. The city doesn't exist as it did back then, but it was located in what is now southern Turkey. And um, he was writing to commend the Christians there of their faith, but also to stave off the growth of a heresy. A heresy is a a false teaching, a a false doctrine that's being taught in a church. And and there was a few that were going on in the church already for a young church. And he was um, writing to them to remind them simply this, to remind them of the preeminence of Christ, to remind them that Jesus is all, that Jesus is everything. It is Jesus plus nothing. It is Jesus period, and how he he is supreme and above all, and we need nothing other than Christ, and that his ministry, Paul says, his whole life's work from the point that he was was saved, his whole ministry is, he says earlier in chapter one, to, to present us complete in Christ, because we are complete in him. And so that's Paul's overarching message. And so we say this whole series is called Greater Than because along the way in our journey through this book, we see how Jesus is greater, greater than any other God, greater than any other world philosophy, greater than anything that we could possibly try to put in his place. Jesus is greater than. Do you agree with me on that? Right? And so the book kind of helps us unpack that and see. And we're going to, we're going to, get into it this morning and dig into things like legalism and worship of angels and false gods and, of course, um, worship of self. And so there was this, um, this uh, heresy that was beginning to brew that later became known as Gnosticism. And it just comes from the word meaning um, um, knowledge or uh, love of wisdom, and that's a good thing. We should love wisdom. But the question is, whose wisdom? Like, whose truth are we seeking and falling in love with? And so Gnosticism is an ancient heresy which actually exists today in different forms. In many ways, it's kind of like New Ageism, but it's trying to, to get yourself to a higher spiritual realm and plane. You know what I mean? And it's, it's trying to do that through works, through uh, meditation, through focus on anything other than the God of the Bible. And so... The Gnostics of the ancient day, of the scriptures of that time, they said that there is a special knowledge apart from God that only a select few people had. And to be honest, we're just going to speak truthfully, that's really the base of every cult and false religion that has come along in the last thousands of years is that idea that there is some kind of special knowledge, a spiritual being or a higher plane that you can attain in all different ways, but it's apart from the God of the Bible. And so Paul was seeing that happening, and so he had to write this letter to say, you guys are doing great and you're remaining in your faith, but just be careful not to take your eyes off of Jesus. And this morning, we're looking at Colossians 2, and it's verses 16 to 23 which I'll read in a moment, but you're going to see a, a word in there. It's the word shadow. Everybody knows what a shadow is? It's the difference between a shadow and the substance. That's what we're going to see this morning. Paul is saying, look, we can look at all the shadows we want, 
But why would we want to continue to follow a shadow when the shadow is pointing us to Christ, who is the substance, the all in all? And so that's what we're looking at this morning. And so, um, you know, uh, on Friday morning, early hours of Friday morning, there was something special that occurred in the night sky. Do you know what it was? It was a, a partial lunar eclipse, wasn't it? And if we can go to the next slide, Willie, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and what you're going to see is this. So this comes from NASA itself. It's very scientific. Can you tell? This actually is, I just want to tell you, no, actually, this is the diagram that I got from the NASA website. But they knew it was for somebody like me, right? They're like, we've got to make this as simple as possible. And so, um, uh, and so this was Friday morning, right? And evidently, it was the longest partial lunar eclipse in the last 500 years. It lasted like three and a half hours. Now, I think around here, first of all, I didn't get up at like 2 a.m. to see it, but I think it was pretty overcast. I'm not sure how much of it we could see here in this part of the country and part of the world, but it's really interesting what happens with a lunar eclipse because what you can see right there is simply this. When there is a lunar eclipse, the Earth gets right in the middle between the moon and the sun. And so what's happening, right, is the sun that shines its light on earth and the moon, of course, you know when you see the moon, it's not emitting its own light. It's the reflection of the sun's light. So what happens is in a lunar eclipse, and on Friday was a partial one, but in a lunar eclipse, the earth and the sun and the moon are all aligned, are almost perfectly aligned, and so what happens is the earth is casting a shadow okay, into the moon. You see that? The moon is literally in the shadow of the earth. You see that? It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward the way that works. And so for a few hours on the early morning uh, Friday, this is what it looked like in the night sky. And, and so what was happening was the sun, of course, was shining. It's always shining, whether we see it or not, right? And it's shining towards the earth, but the, the moon is on the other side. And so normally what we would see at night, we see the bright moon. It is the sun's rays reflecting off of the moon. But on a lunar eclipse, it kind of looks orange and red, right? It actually is also called traditionally a blood moon. Why? Just because it kind of looks orange and red. But what you're seeing, and this is interesting, it's not the light of the sun directly reflecting off of the moon as we normally see it, it is the light that's reflecting off the earth back onto the moon through our atmosphere, and that's what makes it the reddish-orange. It's the same reason that a sunset can look often so red and orange. It has to do with the light refracting through the atmosphere. And they had other slides about that, but I wasn't going to get into that this morning. But that's basically what's happening but isn't it interesting that normally what we see is we see the sun's actual light reflecting off of the moon, but during a lunar eclipse, we're not seeing that. We're seeing a separate reflection. It's coming off of the earth. The idea is this. The moon is in the shadow of the earth. Remember when you were a kid, you're kind of maybe walking with your parents, and the sun's behind you, and and, and, and your dad or your mom like is a big shadow, right? And what do you try to do as a kid? You try to stomp on the shadow, right? 
They'll try to walk on the shadow. It's a fun thing to do. You're, you're following the shadow, and usually the shadow's big. Why? Because what is a shadow? It's an image that's cast. It's a darker image that's cast of an object, but it's not the actual object, see? It's when something gets in the way of a light source and then a darker um, shadow, a darker area is created. But here's the key in all of that. The shadow is not the actual object, see? The shadow is not the actual object. We can see the shadow. We appreciate the shadow. We can understand what creates it. But the shadow itself points to the fact that there is some real tangible object. Because you need that object to create it. Do you see? And that's the key of what Paul is telling us this morning. He's saying everything that he's about to to talk about, that we're going to unpack, everything is but a shadow of what was to come. And in Paul's day, it was coming. And we know what it was. It was Jesus Christ himself. It was a he. And it was God himself in the flesh. We were pretty close to Christmas, if you didn't notice already. And of course, what do we celebrate at Christmas? The birth of Jesus Christ. The baby in a manger. It is God himself in the flesh. Come to live with us, to walk among us, to tabernacle with us. That's what it means to live and to dwell with us. It's God in human form. And the amazing thing is that Paul is saying all the Old Testament, the law, it had a reason. But it was but a shadow of Christ to come. So Paul now tells the church, church, Why are you still walking in the shadows when you have the reality of Christ? And church, that's the message for us this morning. So we're going to look at it, and so I want to read it, and and then we're just going to unpack it a couple verses at a time. All right, here's what it says. In Colossians 2, 16 to 23, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see that? What is Paul saying? He's saying, why are you hanging out in the shadows? Why are you letting people give you rules and regulations 
that are not in the scriptures that, that, listen, that Christ died for. Remember last week we saw how all of our sin, all of the law, all of it, our shame and our guilt was all nailed to the cross. Remember that? Our debt was canceled. It was nailed to the cross. And Paul is now going further and saying, okay, how about those new moons and festivals and Sabbaths? What's the deal with those? Why are you still participating in them as if they have value with Christ? And why are you then forcing it on others? See, that's what was happening. It was just like when we talked about circumcision. See, people became believers and they trusted in Christ for the salvation, but then like many of us, they just felt like, well, I got to do something to add to this equation, don't I? I mean, it can't all be for free. We know better in this world, right? There's really nothing for free. So therefore, okay, Christ died and I believe it, but I got to do something. Maybe I'll keep doing those rituals that I knew about. That'll be good for something, right? That'll keep me close to God. And so I'll keep doing those things and and so Paul tells us that we do not need those things anymore. And not only that, why are you letting other people force you into that? See, what it was is it was a sense of legalism. For the Jews, the idea was you must be circumcised to be a Christian. It was the legalism of the Pharisees that led to pride and, as Paul calls it, a false humility. That they must still celebrate the holidays and the festivals it was an extreme. It's like our Orthodox friends in Lakewood who have to wear certain things and say certain things and do certain things. And, and what is it? Listen, it's all from a heart to want to please God. Like I've said before, they're so close yet so far because they are still under the law. They are placing themselves under the law. They don't need to be because of the freedom that is offered in Christ, but they are remaining under slavery to the law. It's about all of the do's and the don'ts. So maybe for Christians it looks like this, and maybe you grew up in a church that said things like, Christians are not allowed to dance. Christians can't drink alcohol ever, anywhere. Christians can only watch Christian-made movies about things of the Bible and nothing else. If you don't go to church every week, then perhaps you're not really a Christian. Women must wear a dress and men a suit, and the dresses have to be a certain length. Remember all that? Some of you, maybe you're cringing like, yeah, that's what I grew up with. There's all kinds of legalism. It takes all different forms, and we, we all have some kind of experience with it. For me, it was this. It was people telling me when I was a young believer, you can only listen to Christian music. In fact, you should listen to music that has no words whatsoever, just classical music. That's what happened to me when I was a new believer. And my first thought was, what is Christian music? Music's not Christian. The lyrics can be Christian, right? 
And so as a young believer, I was at college at a school up in Massachusetts, and I had just become a believer, and uh, my friend rededicated his life to the Lord, and I, for the first time, trusted Jesus Christ for my salvation. And I was new, and I was excited, and, and I was reading the Bible, and I was going to Bible studies, and I had these two friends that were roommates. And see, I had known them in the year before. This was my sophomore year in college, and I had known them to be big fans of the, the band, the rock band, the Grateful Dead. You remember them? So you remember what the followers of the Grateful Dead were called? They were called deadheads. That's what they were called. So I had two friends that were, they were deadheads. And their whole uh, dorm room was decked out in everything that you can imagine that went along with that scene. Everything that was hippie and that was folk and all of that. And all of their music, I mean, it all is this huge record collection. Everything was dedicated to that style of music, and that was their favorite band, and, and that's all they talked about. It was their lifestyle. But see, both of them became believers at the same time, and they were part of my small group. And so I went over one day shortly after that. I noticed their dorm room looked completely different. They took down all the tapestries. They threw out all of their drug paraphernalia. They threw away all of their record collections literally threw it in the dumpster. Fine. But then you know what? They started telling me, they said, Keith, you know what? You're a Christian too now. You can't listen to anything else other than Christian music. In fact, they started listening to nothing but classical music, Mozart and, and all that, and they said, you know what? That's what you have to listen to. That was their words. You have to listen to that because anything else is going to point you away from God. And I want to tell you, we, we might sit here and kind of chuckle and, and say, wow, you know, boy, how legalistic is that? But for a young believer, and for a young believer who was a musician and in a band himself, you know, himself, I was in a band at that time and playing music, boy, this is a real crisis of faith for me. Because I had these friends that I liked and respected, and I saw this, this monumental change in their life. I knew they were believers, and this is what they were telling me. And it really was a struggle for me. You know, I had to figure out, is this true? Is this what I need to do to be a Christian? Is this what all Christians do? And so I had some good people in my life that I sought wise counsel from them. Some people that I knew were older and, and wiser and had been walking with the Lord. And I started asking. I started asking musician friends and pastor friends and people that I just met that were leading this on-campus Christian group, and I started talking to them, and, and nobody could give me like a straight answer, but they were pointing me in the right direction, but it had to, to come down between me and God, and here's what, I, here's what I came to in my conviction. After reading the scriptures and praying and asking for this wise counsel, I said, God, only you can create. Satan cannot create, he can distort. So yes, Satan, our enemy, can take anything that's good, anything that God creates, even like music, a language that God created for us to express ourselves to each other and to him, and Satan can use it for his ways and to distort it, but only God can create it. So I believe everything then can be redeemed, you see? I was redeemed, music could be redeemed. Then I said, well, what about this? Do the words have to be Christian? And then I realized, Scripture said over and over again, that I was free in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that you're free in Christ? We are free in Jesus Christ. I didn't even know what that freedom meant. 
But see, there's a lot that goes into that because we have freedom and it's often called Christian liberty. But what do we do with that liberty? Because Paul says in Romans, he says, you know, we are free from that, but should we then go on sinning so grace can abound more? And he says, by no means. Because if the Bible clearly forbids it and prohibits it, then we should not do it. As a good example, because you know the Bible doesn't say that you can't drink alcohol. For some of you, you might be saying, I can't believe pastor's saying that. But what does it say? It says, do not get drunk. But see, this is a conviction between you and God, right? Because I would never tell somebody and say, yeah, you should go drink. Because the Bible doesn't say that you can't. But what I would say is you cannot impress that upon somebody else. That becomes legalism, just like my friends were trying to say, you can only listen to classical music and nothing else. See, that was a form of legalism. We are free in Jesus Christ, but you know what we're free to do? We are free to read and study the scriptures and learn who God is and what he expects of us. You know, Paul says elsewhere, he talks about meat, He talks about meat and he says, when you get together with a friend, everything is permissible. The Apostle Paul said this, everything is permissible because we're free in Christ. But yet, if you're with somebody and you say, I have this freedom to do something, but it's going to be a stumbling block for them, then should you do it? No, because we are also called to not let our brother stumble. See, it's about responsibility. What's that old saying? With great freedom comes great responsibility. It's also biblical. See, so Paul was writing this letter to say, no, 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 you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. He was saying, no, no, you don't have to um, worship angels. You don't have to still participate in the new moon festivals, the blood moon festivals, the, all of the, um, the holidays, the Sabbaths. He goes, those things aren't bringing you salvation. Why are you letting people force you into that? So Paul is saying we are free in Christ. And so I had to come to grips with that as a young believer and as a young man just saying, God, what should I do with this? What am I free to do and what am I not free to do? And you know what it always comes back to? What does it say in the Bible? The Bible teaches that we should be modest in the way that we dress. Well, who decides what's modest and what isn't? You see? We have freedom, but it comes down to it's your conviction with God. Do you see that? There's a lot of that in Scripture. And why is it? See, God doesn't lay out what we should do in every single scenario of life. Do you ever notice that? You've probably gone through the pages of Scripture and say, God, tell me what job to get and tell me who to marry and tell me what I should wear today. Well, we probably didn't do that. But see, God doesn't lay it out, but he gives us those principles, and it's always about love. See, love should be what limits our Christian freedom. Do you see that? Love should be what restricts us. If we're going to love our neighbor and love God, then I'm not going to do something that's going to make them stumble, even though I believe I'm not restricted in doing it. But yet I don't want to cause a problem for somebody else, so I can just put it aside because I have freedom to do that as well. Because what happens is, if we don't, then it's a, it's a snowball effect and it's a slippery slope that leads to what we call legalism. So it gets to the point that no Christian should dance. 
and no Christian should watch any movies other than G movies. Do you see that? Now, I, if you ask me personally, I might say, well, you know what? This is probably good for your health, and this is good for you spiritually. And, and we say, where are you with this, and is it a stumbling block for you? Because it's between you and God. you see that? Because with great freedom comes great responsibility. Why? Because the expectation, church, is that we grow in Christ. We say that we learn, we grow, and we serve together. So as we learn who God is and what he expects, then we're going to grow in that, and we grow in our maturity. See, now as adults, we're all adults in here, right? Might not always act like adults, but we're here. Some of you are like, well, maybe. But see, you don't think like you did when you were a little kid, for the most part. You've learned, and you've grown. You've seen how the world works and how other people work. And sometimes, unfortunately, we get callous to things that we shouldn't. But, but we grow, and we grow in our maturity and our understanding and how to interact with other people and, and how to recognize truth and, and all of that. But it's the same thing spiritually. See, it's so simple. Christ says, now that you believe in me, grow. Re- read my word. I- I've told you all about who I am. And pray and spend time with me. Get to know me. That's what Jesus calls us to. Because listen, when we get to know the heart of God, that will be our guide and our direction. It's the Holy Spirit within us. The more we get to know the heart of God, the easier it will be to live in the freedom of Christ. Amen? It, It will be easier to do that. It will be causing less of a stumbling block for others so for me, it was this idea of what kind of music should I be listening to and what shouldn't I? But for my friends, and here's the last part I'll say about that. Here's what I, the conclusion I came to. For my friends, this is what they needed to do. Because the music they loved, listen, was a stumbling block for them and was keeping them from seeing God. Once God opened their eyes... They knew it was a conviction of the Holy Spirit. We cannot have this stumbling block in our lives anymore. We want to get rid of the temptation, the thing that reminded us of what was keeping us from God. That music was their God. Do you see that? So they needed to do that, and I applauded them for that. But music was never a stumbling block for me. And so, therefore, I didn't need to do the same thing they did. But yet we both came to saving faith in Christ. We both wanted to grow. Do you see the difference? So therefore, they could not impose their legalism on me because it was different for them. Nowhere in the scripture did it tell me what kind of music to listen to and what not listen to. But I, I know the scripture teaches me to worship God and to be careful what I'm looking at and what I'm listening to, right? Because I know whatever's in the heart is going to come out the mouth, see? And it's what I'm going to seek after. But that's part of our growth, church. It's part of our growth, and it's so important we understand that. So if we remain as babies in Christ, as children in Christ, then yeah, we're going to impose legalism on other people, and we're going to accept it ourselves. And you know what? If we're not living in the freedom of Christ, then what we're doing is I believe we're disrespecting the work of Christ on the cross. Because didn't he say, didn't Paul say it was all nailed to the cross? So if Jesus died for it, then why do you want to still live in it? And that's what Paul says in this passage. 
He's saying, why are you still living in the world? So let's look at, let's look at just a few verses uh, before we close. So in verse 16, look at what it says. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of, look, food or drink. Because remember, he says in Romans, it's, uh, or it's in 1 Corinthians, it's all permissible. Everything is permissible. So don't let anybody judge you or in the question of food or what to drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. But why? And here's the key. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. There's our verse for today. Colossians 2.17. See, he's saying, he's contrasting shadow and substance. Right? He's saying those things were good. Listen, the law was given by God to the people of Israel for a reason. It, it, it kept order. And it, it showed them what things to eat that was good for their health. And it gave, it gave them a way to honor God, even through the sacrificial system. So God gave it. But listen, they were missing the heart of the law. Did you know that's what Jesus spent most of his time doing when he was talking to the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes? He was saying, you're all caught up in the law. But you're missing the very heart of the law because the very heart of the law was to show the people of Israel, we can't do these things on our own. We need God's help. And God says, exactly. You need that redeemer that I'm sending. So just have faith. And for now, you keep the law, but it's about the heart of the law because what happens, and we've all been through this, we start to just go through the motions. You ever feel like that with God in your walk with the Lord? You're just going through the motions. Well, I'm going to go to church because... My parents did that, and I should. everybody else is there, and so I'm going to go. I'll worship, so when we start off, and, and Steve, you know, invites us to stand, I'll stand. So some people are raising their hands. I'm not sure what that's about. I'll, I guess I'll, I'll raise my hand. But you see, it's like you're just going through the motions, but if the heart's not there, then what is it worth? You see? What is it worth? Because we don't want to miss the heart of God in it all. And that was the whole idea of the law. And the, the people of Israel, when Jesus came, he said, you're just getting it all wrong. You're missing the heart of God in the law. It's all about keeping the law for the law itself. And we could fill in the blank, whatever that looks like for us. Maybe some of you came out of the, the Catholic tradition. You're like, yeah, that was full of, of, of tradition and things that we were supposed to do and not do and say and not say. But we're free in Christ, and you're free to even in include some of those things if you'd like, but it's not about the thing itself. It's about the heart of God. And in maturity, see, we can discern that. We say, what are the reasons and the purposes of these things? And so Paul says, don't let anybody pass judgment on, on any of these things. Why? Because they are but a shadow. What is a shadow again? It is an image that is cast, an image of an actual object, but it's not about the image itself. It's not about walking in the shadow. It's about looking at the object that is casting the shadow. If I'm walking and I have the sun behind me, the hot summer sun, and I see it behind me, I know it's behind me, and in front of me is my shadow, right? I can look in the shadow, but you know what? I know where the sun is. If I turn around... I'll be looking right at the sun, the source of the light itself. So why would I want anything in this world that is but a shadow of Christ to come? Anything in the law that is but a shadow. Why would I want to walk in the shadows 
when I can simply turn around and see the sun itself and to see Jesus himself. So Paul says they are, th- they are a shadow of the things that come, but the substance, the reality is in Christ. So ask yourselves, do you make up rules for yourself to follow that aren't in the Bible? Do you make up rules for others to follow that you try to impose on them? And why do we do that? Maybe it makes us feel better. It makes us feel like we're adding something to our salvation. The true substance is in Christ. I want to read to you this passage from Isaiah chapter 1. You can turn to it. It'll be up on the screen as well. But would you just take note of the language that God uses? So this is the very first chapter the book of Isaiah, it's from the Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet. We call him one of the major prophets. And this is what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel. Now, you remember what that relationship was like, right, with God and Israel, that oftentimes they would go astray, be disobedient, and God would have to discipline them and even at some point send them into exile away from their land. But God took this seriously, church. So look at what God says to the people of Israel because they were just playing at their relationship with God. What they were doing is they were missing the heart of the law. Look what it says. This is God's word. God says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes and cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. How about that? Did you ever realize how strong God can speak to his people? But why? It's because he loves them. And isn't it interesting? He says, I don't want anything else to do with those sacrifices. Don't even bring them to me because I see your heart and I know how you're bringing them. He's like, I hate these things. I hate all of these these things. You know why? Because it was just all show. It was all show. He's like, I gave you this. Isn't it interesting? Because God gave them all those things and said, yes, this is what you're supposed to do. Sacrifice these animals for this day, for this kind of sin. God gave it to them. But now he says, forget about it. I don't even want to see it. It's a burden to me, he says. And he says, my soul hates it. You ever think that God would speak like that? But that's what God says. Why? Because they were missing God's heart. They were going through the motions. They were doing it for all the wrong reasons. In fact, they were doing it 
just to keep the law itself. In verse 18 of our passage, Paul goes on and says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reasons by his sensuous mind. Well, Paul is like following right along with the sternness of God, right? You could tell Paul is getting all worked up about it. So a quick few things about this. Asceticism is it's a fancy word for a strict self-denial. It's maybe you've seen in movies or, or, or read in books about people in, in uh, more in ancient times, monks would often follow asceticism and they would, they would uh, you know, beat themselves, cut themselves. They would, uh, even Martin Luther, we're very familiar with Martin Luther who led the, the, the Protestant Reformation over 500 years ago. He would lay naked on the floor of his room in the dead of winter, no heat, no fire. And he would do that, why? To try to beat up his physical body so he could please God. That's what he was doing. His motivation was to get closer to God, and so he would deny himself. It was a strict denial, intentionally inflicting physical pain and discomfort. Why? To attain a higher or deeper spiritual level. There was also the worship of angels. See, the Gnostics, as I talked about, they, were, they taught, oh, you have to worship angels, because there's all these levels of angels, you have to acknowledge them, you have to worship them because they bring messages from God. So pray to an angel because the angel will bring a message back to God. You don't have to pray, you can't just pray directly to God through Jesus, you've got to go through the angels. Because why? Because when you do that, you get this secret knowledge that only God will give you through the angels. See, it became angel worship. So whatever that looks like for us today. The idea is they were denying the sufficiency of Christ. In verse 19 of our passage, it says, And not holding fast to the head, capital H, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. First of all, Paul says the growth we have is from God. It's not you doing it yourself. See, he's making that great point. And he says, you're not holding fast to the head. Again, you've lost the heart of God. Here he talks about the head. Who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. So he says, you've gotten off track. You're just doing these things to do them. You're keeping the machine running, right? You're doing it all for the wrong reasons, just doing it to do it. And he says, you've forgotten about Christ. It's like a body trying to exist without its head. And you know what? As Trinity Bible Church here in Allenwood, New Jersey... Here in the year 2021, almost the year 2022, we wouldn't, it, there'd be no reason for us to get together if we didn't routinely acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. This is not about ourselves, this is about Christ. Do you see? We have no life apart from Him. We are dead apart from Him. Remember, a few weeks ago, we got the great privilege of witnessing the baptism. And we saw that, that great symbolism of being dead in our sins under the water, but then we come up out of the water to, to, to symbolize and show our new life in Christ. So we are alive in Christ. That's what Paul is saying. You're alive and free in Christ. Why are you putting those chains of the law back on and legalism? And, and he's saying here, you know what? Without Christ, it's nothing. You know, in Revelation we see that in the opening chapters of Revelation, we see that Jesus is knocking on the door of one of those churches, right? And 
He's knocking on the door. And it's, it's not as simple as saying, oh, Jesus is knocking on the door to your heart and you accept him in. That's not what that passage is about. You know what that's about in Revelation? Jesus is knocking on the door of his very own church and they're not letting him in. Can you imagine? It's like as if Jesus walked up to the door and Andrew's greeting him and Andrew's just like, sorry, we're all full. Did you picture Andrew doing that? I don't think so. But it's as if Jesus is coming door to door to all the churches and he can't find a place that would welcome him. That's what it's like when a church starts doing its own thing in its own power, in its own way, and we forget about who is the head. And Paul is saying it's like that with the law. It's like you're just doing the law and you look it on the outside, but what does Jesus call the Pharisees? Whitewashed tombs. Boy, that tomb looks great, freshly painted and whitewashed, beautiful on the outside. What's on the inside? A dead body. A rotting corpse, bones turning to dust. That's what he says the religious leaders are. Paul is saying that's what's going to happen if you let this legalism, this worship of angels, this asceticism, all these things creep in. When we're disconnected from Christ who is the head, then we become lifeless. And finally, the last few verses. 20 through 23, if, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you're still alive in the world do you submit to regulations like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that are all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have the appearance, see that, the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence on the flesh. He said, you can try all you want. Martin Luther, you can lay on the floor naked and you can you know, submit yourself, subject yourself to extreme cold, and it's not going to help you say no to sin, and it's not going to get you any closer to God. All it's going to get you is some frostbite. That's what it's going to get you. But you see the point Paul's making? He's just like, why are you doing this? Because you're free and you're alive in Christ. We have liberty in him. They might seem like they have value, but Paul says they don't last. They fade away. But Christ is eternal. So our conclusions. So what? So what does this all mean to us? You know, we all take pictures, don't we? And we all have, most of us have like a smartphone or something, and we take pictures you know that um, last year alone, just throughout the world, there's over 1.2 trillion pictures taken. How many of those did you take? Maybe a lot, right? Mostly of what you were eating for dinner that night, so it was. But these days we take pictures of anything and everything and everybody, right? If, if you don't like your picture out there on the Internet, one comedian once said, then why are you walking outside of your house? Because, like, once you leave your house, then the idea is, like, you're part of the world, that that's the world today, Right? But here's the idea, we're, we're, you know, everybody takes pictures, it's a wonderful thing, but you remember back in the day, of course I remember, before cell phones, that, that did exist, there was a time before cell phones, and you actually had to, if you wanted to take a picture, you had to buy an actual camera. And they had digital cameras, and they were great, but now everybody can do it on their cell phone, and the updated, you know, smartphones, they take amazing pictures, better than all those other cameras. 90% of all those 1.2 trillion pictures were taken by cell phones. So here's the thing, though. You take a picture. It's great. Why? So you can remember it. So you can post it on social media, and people can be like, wow, that's a great picture. Okay? 
It's all right, so that can be good, but you take a picture. Why? So you can remember something, right? Take a picture of a friend you haven't seen. You take a picture of a, a cute dog walking by. Wow, look at that dog, you know, and you can remember something. But isn't it better to actually experience the real thing than taking a picture? I mean, yeah, you want to do both. It's like if you're traveling to the Grand Canyon and, and, and you have a map, you're following your GPS, and you're following all along, look, there's the, the Grand Canyon on my map, and you travel all that way, thousands of miles, and you finally show up to the Grand Canyon, and on your map it says you have arrived. Wow, look at the Grand Canyon, look at that. And then you turn around and go home without even opening your eyes and looking at the actual thing. Or better yet, how about this? Once in a while, Claudia and I like to get up early and go see the sunrise. It usually ruins me for the rest of the day because then my sleep is all off, you know, whatever. But it's worth it. It's nice, right? If you ever get up and go, I mean, we live by the beach. It's beautiful, right? Most people don't get to do that. You go, you see the sunrise and the horizon. Boy, it's beautiful. But what if you spend your whole time taking pictures of the sunrise? Look at this. Look at this. It's beautiful. Look at the waves. Look at the seagulls taking pictures. Look at those pictures. And you get up and go home. You can take a picture, but how about you enjoy the actual event, the actual sun? See, a picture of the sun is cool, but it's not the actual sun. You can't feel the heat of the, and the warmth of the sun from the photo on your phone. You can hear the seagulls, but you can't see it in the picture. You can hear the beautiful waves. It's like silent except the waves and the seagulls, and you can't get all that from a photo. See, the photo is like a shadow of the real object. It's good, but it's not the real thing. So when you have the real thing in your presence, enjoy it, experience it. Paul is saying all the things of the law was but a shadow of Christ. And you know what? You have Christ, and he now lives in you. So why are you fooling with all that other stuff? You have Jesus. You know, when I prepare for my sermons, of course, I do a lot of reading, as you would suspect, and I start with what the Scripture says, but I love to read what other scholars and other people I respect, what they say about this passage, sermons they preached and commentaries they wrote and what they said about the words in the Greek or the Hebrew. I love that. Devotionals, what people have said and brought out of the text and what they've learned from it, it's wonderful and it's helpful, but you know what? That's all stuff that other people have experienced and what they think and what God has shown them. And if I just rely on that and say, that's amazing, I'm missing out on spending time with God and his word and let the God of the universe who now lives in me speak to me through his word. You see the difference? The other stuff can be good, but if that's all I do, then I'm not knowing him. It's like you can know a lot about God, but do you know God? Do you see? There's a world of difference. You can know a heck of a lot about God, but do you know him? It's about that personal, intimate relationship with the God of the universe. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It doesn't say with most of the spiritual blessings, with some of the spiritual blessings, 
As a Christian, how much spiritual blessing do you have? You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, but it's in Christ. You see those two words? It's in Christ. So in Christ, you are complete. You have all you need. So what we are to do, church, is spend our time discovering what we already have in Christ instead of trying to replace it and find it somewhere else. Why should we seek for a substitute when we have the very substance itself, and that is Christ? Why settle for a substitute when you can have the real thing? Think of all those two words mean in Christ. In Christ, we have all we need. In Christ, we are safe and secure. In Christ, we find true meaning and purpose. In Christ, we live and move and have our being, the Scripture says. Galatians 3.26 says this. Galatians 3.26 says, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You are clothed in him. You need nothing else. You are clothed in him. Church, would you stand with me? And I want to read this last verse while we stand together. Jesus had just got done comforting his disciples. This is taken from John 14. If you know, this is a very famous passage. At the beginning of John 14 is when Jesus is saying, in my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. And I go to prepare a place for you. Remember that? And he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, then you know I'm going to come back. So he's telling his disciples because he's getting ready to leave them. And he's trying to comfort them. He's the good shepherd comforting his followers. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to prepare a place and I'm going to come back for you. But while I'm gone, you know where I am and you know how to find me. And then Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? So here's Jesus' answer. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So then Philip chimes in. Philip says, Lord, Show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Church, in Christ we have seen God himself. We have all we need in Jesus Christ. Why are we looking elsewhere? Why are we being like Thomas and saying, God, I just don't know the way? Or Philip who says, show us the Father. Like, give us one more sign, Jesus. Just show me you're real, Jesus, one more time. I know you've shown me in the past. Just show me one more time and I'll believe it. Do this one thing, God, that I'll know you're really real and that you really love me. Jesus says, after all this time, and all the things I've not only done for you, but all that I've shown you in my word, and you still say, show me the Father? Jesus says, you've seen the Father because you've seen me. We know the heart of God, and that is Jesus Christ himself. The old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim 
in the light of his glory and his grace. Amen. Let's sing to him as we close our time together. together and sing those words so I'll stand with our arms high and heart abandoned. Sing it out. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrender all I am is yours. Stand with arms high and heart abandoned. 
surrender all I am is yours. Sing all I am. All I am is yours. All I am is yours. So what can I say? our voices. Sing it together so I'll stand. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrender all. Father God, as we sang, we are yours, and we are your children, God. Not a shadow of you, not our interpretation of you, God, but you, our God, the God of the Bible, the God of truth who's given us your word. You are our God, Lord, and we declare that here this morning, and we'll declare that till the end of time, Lord, and we love you for it, and we thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we, we pray and we sing. Amen. Amen.